Blog Talk Radio. Good afternoon. It's Saturday. It's the 15th of uh, February. And this is Dr. Simon, who has been doing a show uh, on Blog Talk Radio since 2007. Um, on and off, sometimes more on than periods like now, where I haven't done one for a couple of months. And um, I've decided I'm not going to do shows in the evening anymore for a variety of reasons, one of which is it starts to cost too much money. Um, one had much more freedom uh, when this started uh, in terms of time and the amount of time you could put in without it costing you money. Um, but I think that this is a good time. I'm going to try to stick to Saturday afternoons. I tend to be free at this point. Um, and I think over the years, if I stay consistent in a spot, uh, it, it brings a, a greater number of people uh, to my show. Uh, secondly, I don't think I can speak anymore for the, an hour or more the amount of time that I do tend to speak. Uh, it becomes windy. And uh, I don't know how many of us have the concentration to listen to a topic for more than a half an hour. So I'm going to limit myself in, these, in this series to a half an hour. Um, I'm not sure I know enough to say uh, for more than a half an hour. Uh, I have tried to get some people that I've talked about on my show, but I have been an uh, abject failure at doing so. So I'll, for the time being, until I can work something out where I get uh, people to be interviewed, and that would be probably more than for a half an hour, I'm going to try uh, to do a series on Saturday afternoon at 4. Today, I want to discuss something. I have done two shows earlier. One was uh, uh, December 3, 2007, and then the other, uh, February 4, 2008. So it's just five years ago. On um, the myth of childhood uh, mental disorders and the need for powerful uh, drugs and long-term therapy uh, to fix the problem. Um, the drugs that uh, I spoke about, uh, stimulants, depressants, uh, are dangerous, they're addictive, they're harmful. Um, and yet the, the uh, myth of mental illness, the myth, that an individual, child or adult, uh, who can't adjust, who can't function to the complexities or the demands of a social situation represent an illness without any kind of uh, evidence whatsoever that there is a true medical problem uh, is so pervasive. Uh, and I have given up hope that in my lifetime, um, real cracks in the, in the wall of that lie of that myth, of that sacred myth uh, that is damaging so much lives, costing so much to the public, making so much money for the big corporations, big pharma, uh, is ever going to change. But I then feel guilty if I don't speak out, and uh, so I persist. Today, um, my show started as it was motivated by a Sunday, December 15th story by Alan Schwartz, which appeared on the front page of the Sunday New York Times. Uh, I cheered 
uh, when I saw this because it's so rare that um, some kind of, of, of uh, light be cast on what has now become common wisdom about dealing with kids who can't keep in their seats or break rules uh, in school or at home. Um, it's called the Selling of Attention Deficit Disorder. And the number of diagnosis in the subtitle uh, soared amid a 20-year drug marketing campaign with the entire mental health industry led by uh, the psychiatrists, uh, which who wouldn't exist. The American Psychiatric Association uh, clearly would not exist if it weren't for the money that is being pumped uh, into the industry. Uh, and the number of psychologists and social workers who, without thought, because uh, we all as human beings can follow authority without thought, um, uh, have just jumped on this bandwagon and are part of this giant machine uh, selling drugs uh, to parents uh, who put their children at risk uh, because uh, that the child has a difficulty sitting still in school uh, or at home or at whatever situation, it becomes bothersome for the child not to sit. Let me read a little bit from the article. Um, Severe hyperactive and impulsive children once shunned as bad seeds are now recognized as having real neurobehavioral problems. That's nonsense. There's no such evidence. There really isn't. Um, doctors and parents have largely accepted drugs like Adderall and Concerta to temper the classic ADHD helping youngsters succeed in school and beyond. Um, let me open this up because I've got a big crease here. The author goes on to say uh, that um, Dr. Connors, uh, Keith Connors, should be celebrating this growth, but Dr. Connors does not feel triumphant this fall as he addressed a group of fellow ADHD specialists in Washington. He noted that recent data from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention show that the diagnosis has been made in 15% of high school-aged children and that the number of children on medication for the disorder has soared to 3.5 million from 600,000 in 1990. He questioned the rising rates of diagnosis and called them, quote, a national disaster of dangerous proportions. Um, anybody who's really interested uh, in, in getting this article, they can. They can go into the archives of the Times. Uh, the article goes on to discuss the fact that uh, there is this tremendous overdiagnosis and that the number of children who fit the true criteria originally established for ADHD um, uh, is being stretched and stretched and stretched under a constant barrage of advertising and the enlisting of medical and uh, non-medical personnel to promote this myth. Now, the downside of this article is that it never questions the true basis of this being a medical problem. It just doesn't. And that's something uh, that drives people uh, such as myself who are critical of the whole myth of mental disorders and illnesses as true medical problems. Um, drives us crazy. 
um, I, can ha- I have a license here in Florida to treat such children, and I don't go to medical school. Um, if behavioral techniques, as has been demonstrated over and over again, can work as well with many of the kids diagnosed, uh, then um, forget the fact that it's as effective or more effective. It is uh, clear evidence that this is not a medical problem. Because were something truly uh, diagnostic in the brains or chemistry of these kids to be found, uh, all of us would not be uh, working with such children. Moreover, psychiatrists wouldn't be there. Neurologists, uh, endocrinologists, and those who deal with the specifically diagnosed biological and physical problems of these children um, would be working with them. So, uh, originally I did a show for an hour on this, and I took it down because I ended up uh, reading the words of one of the um, people quoted, uh, one of the doctors who, when presented with evidence of diagnosis, uh, basically said that the, um, uh, the facts uh, shouldn't sway the fact that uh, more and more children are underdiagnosed rather than overdiagnosed, and that we have to continue spreading the word so that um, any child who's having difficulty in school or difficulty sitting for the period of time required by school uh, be given uh, appropriate medical attention. I called him names. And I found out later that uh, the names I called him were opinions, and uh, therefore... Um, the, the, I didn't say he, had, he was factually wrong or, or that he himself had committed some kind of an act, so I couldn't be held liable for that. But you know what? I thought after a while, uh, why should I be calling anybody names? Um, it doesn't help anything. It doesn't help the argument that I make and others make uh, that a catastrophe of national proportions is taking place as we watch and will ultimately uh, unravel while we uh, create other catastrophes to take their place. But that represents another kind of a show on how uh, human beings, uh, all of us, can come to believe something uh, against evidence of our senses of, of facts and just go along with opinions and follow authority blindly because they are authority. So let me talk a little bit. I want to now, I've done this before, I'm going to do it again. I'm going to go into the DSM-4. It's been replaced by the DSM-5. More bullshit, a bigger book, more crap. uh, causing more damage, uh, probably, I don't know this for a fact, but I guess uh, literally dictated by the uh, drug companies, by the marketing people, and not even the scientists, as to how this stuff should be worded so that it can sell uh, and create more blockbuster drugs and euphemistically call them medicine because drugs change behavior, sometimes for the better, sometimes for the worse, and always, always altering the brain's chemistry from its normal state 
without proofing. It's taking an abnormal brain chemistry and restoring it to a more normal state causes massive side effects and over the long run is going to cause serious damage. That's why we don't let our children smoke our marijuana. That's why we don't let our children drink. Uh, we want to keep their brains as pristine and healthy for as long as possible because we know that uh, gives them the greatest chance to grow up and be creative, uh, participating citizens uh, capable of earning a living, uh, being creative, and, and holding together our fragile democracy, which, as I've said on this show many, many times before, is just being wrecked and totally threatened by the nonsense in the DSM. But this is the DSM-4. And it's always good to look to the source of the, itself and then read. And, of course, there is a section that there are no medical tests to diagnose ADHD. There are. And in DSM-5, uh, there will be no medical tests, although, as I've done in one of my shows, there may be some hocus-pocus about uh, how a brain looks under one condition or another, as if somehow uh, the picture of the brain at the moment in which it's functioning correlates with the behavior that is unwanted, somehow proves that the cause of the behavior is merely an abnormality of the brain. So let me read the diagnostic criteria for attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, uh, either one or two, uh, two sections. Six or more of the following symptoms of inattention have persisted for at least six months to a degree that is maladaptive and inconsistent with developmental level. Often fails to give close attention to details or makes careless mistakes in schoolwork, work, or other activities. Making mistakes uh, and, and not paying close attention uh, is a medical problem. Not a style of the individual doesn't raise the issue of what's going on in the child's life, the context, or let's say if we're looking at the classroom, what's going on in the classroom itself. Often has difficulty sustaining attention in tasks or play activities often does not seem to listen when spoken to directly. By whom? By everybody? Or is it a particular person or persons in a given situation? In other words, once the diagnosis is made, it's the child that has the problem. There's no such thing as a school having a problem. There's no such thing as a society having a problem. The child who doesn't fit and behaves in a way that is often problematic for that situation, has the problem and has to be fixed. And in this case, not disciplined or not dealt with psychologically and socially within the context that it's taking place, that the behavior is taking place, but merely by uh, a therapy uh, and or more often, increasingly more often, drugs called medicines. Let me look at the word often. Often in whose eyes? How precise is often? Now, we're talking here not about medical problems. We're talking about unwanted behavior that occurs often in a given context. By whose judgment is it often? What is often? Often has difficulty organizing tasks and activities. Often avoids dislikes or is reluctant to engage in a task of sustained mental effort, such as homework. 
My lordy, children who don't like their homework are disordered, medically ill, needing drugs, often dislikes. You dislike something, you have to like it. Do we have medicine to create a liking of something? Is there anybody there who listens and hears and understands the catastrophe that's taking place here, the political and economic catastrophe that's taking place when we say that children who dislike homework often, not even always, just often, have to be drugged into submission? Does that make them like it? Often loses things necessary for tasks, such as toys, school assignments, pencils, books, or tools. Is often easily distracted by extraneous stimuli. What kind of stimuli? The sound of children playing outside, the television down the hallway that has an interesting show that the child would rather watch than do his homework, is often forgetful in daily activities. Now we go on to six or more of the following symptoms of hyperactivity and impulsivity. Often fidgets with hands or feet or squirms in seat. I didn't know that squirming was a sickness, did you? Often leaves seat in classroom and other situations in which remaining seated is expected. Let's spend a moment on expected to sit. For how long? My wife and I, a number of years ago, on a beautiful Labor Day weekend, were at the beach and watched the children running in and out of the surf, as young as three, as old as teens, with joy, running, playing, splashing. And my wife looked at me, and I looked at her, and she said, tomorrow somebody has to keep them in a seat. Which is the more natural state? And it's not that I want to sound like Thoreau and say that civilization is unnatural. But I think from my years of experience as a teacher, as an educator, much of our school system is set up unnaturally for children to sit for long periods of time and not be able to get up and walk around. Yes, there's recess, and yes, the seats Unlike when I went to school when they were screwed in rows, direct rows, one behind the other, uh, uh, to the floor, uh, it's much easier now. There's more tolerance. But at the same time, there are children who don't do well trying to sit for long periods of time. And this is not because they have something wrong in their brains. It is because it is their natural state of being. I can't sit still at all for long periods of time. In fact, a couple of months ago, I read a wonderful article in the New York Times that people who could sit still for long periods of times, couch potatoes, not even people who don't exercise, but after exercise can sit for hours without moving, watching television, listening to music are more prone for heart disease than those of us who get up every five minutes. And it recommended five or ten minutes of activity, of moving around every hour. I am a male. As a boy, I could not sit still. Sometimes it was from anxiety. 
from difficulty in childhood. But this was my natural state. Moreover, when I studied, I would take the book and walk around. My ability to concentrate and work out problems required me to move around. In a classroom where we're trying to learn long division, where we're trying to learn calculus, sitting for many of us, and certainly that was for me. But my childhood, before the label, was a torture because I couldn't move around unless I was at home doing the studying myself or at the point at which I was old enough to find ways of moving around, of squirming, of keeping my legs moving or some part of my body moving so that when I struggled to understand something, I understood it because, in effect, I thought better moving around. How many of you have children who are bright, especially males? Boys don't like to sit around. They like to move. They like to run. They like to throw things. If we had small enough classrooms in which normal behavior was accepted, a normal curve in which there are some children who really could sit comfortably and concentrate and learn for long periods of time on their tush, but recognizing that at the other end of the spectrum, there are going to be children for whom this is torture. You can see these kids sitting and rocking their legs. I don't do that anymore. I used to as a kid, not because I outgrew ADHD, but because now as an adult, I have the power to get up and move. I was watching television before. After about 35, 40 minutes, I went out and I spent five minutes swinging my golf club. I learned something new yesterday that may make me a better golfer. I don't have to sit. There's nobody to tell me that I am abnormal for getting up and leaving the house. My wife doesn't have such a need. She is more comfortable sitting for longer periods of time. But this, I believe, is an individual difference. And if I love her and she loves me, and I think we do, we tolerate the difference in our need to be active as simply for what it is, an individual difference in a behavior to somebody we love. I don't think we love our children enough. I don't think that we pay teachers, that we create classrooms that are conducive for learning across a wide range of individual children. If we did, I don't know how many children would in fact be diagnosed, if any. Well, maybe a small percentage. I've always recognized as a professional, uh, and others have, there are kids who are distressed by how much they have to move. They wear their clothing out from the inside. They exhaust themselves and everybody around them. And that maybe someday we will learn about the individual difference or perhaps a real brain abnormality that keeps them moving this way. If these children were treated by a drug, call the medicine if we found the specific problem in the brain or the chemistry of the individual that would predict this kind of behavior, because that's what's required of a medical problem. If I have a stomach 
pain, and I think it's an ulcer. It's not proven until the ulcer is found, or there are more signs of, of an ulcer other than something that could be in, uh, indigestion uh, or indiscretion in my eating. There has to be evidence, and until there's evidence, it's just a drug. But I wouldn't be upset about that if small numbers of kids with their permission and their parents' loving attention to the truth that these are drugs with serious, serious side effects, including, including uh, uh, a tendency for such children to become more addicted to cocaine and other stimulant drugs, uh, to abuse these drugs, uh, crush them and snort them, that there is a black market for these drugs because even children and young adults who uh, don't have a problem in school because of inattention or because of fidgeting um, get high on these drugs. They produce a stimulant effect similar to cocaine. Children develop tics from these things. Uh, their appetite gets suppressed. These same drugs were used as appetite suppressants until the government banned them because they were too dangerous. So, read through your DSM. Read that impulsivity has a symptom of often blurts out answers before questions have been completed. You know who those kids are? They're often very, very smart. And they, like all of us, they want to stand out. Yeah, it's an issue if it's really bothersome to be disciplined, not to be medicalized, and not to be given drugs to shut down the nervous system or overstimulate the nervous system of somebody who has this individual difference. I'm going to end my show. I still have a few minutes, but I don't think anybody's calling in. Oh, I, yes, I didn't send this out on broadcasting. Oh, I messed it up again. Okay, it doesn't matter. I believe that ADHD is not something you have. Like all mental disorders in the DSMs, they're not something you have. It is a label for things that you do, for behaviors that cause the stress, for some social configuration and the authority who has to run and organize and control the people within that configuration. That's what mental illness is not real illness, it's fake illness, it's problematic, but often to be understood as problematic within a given context. Context, context, context. And that changing the context, including being more liberal and tolerant. Oh, there I use that word, liberal. Uh, that's a bad word to be used today. You can't use the word liberal uh, because uh, that panders to bad children and to sick people uh, who need to be uh, kept in their place. So folks, uh, gee, I feel bad that I didn't send out my message, uh, but maybe uh, doing it at the end will still get some people to come to this particular broadcast. And um, I'm gonna let it go at this point. I don't know if anybody is there. But if anybody is there, oh, you'd make my, my afternoon and my early evening. Uh, gee, I'm going to a terrific restaurant tonight, my favorite restaurant here in South Florida. It's a French bistro run by a family, uh, a couple, 
and their relatives uh, from Paris, the real authentic thing. And a really good glass of Merlot. They have a roast duck that just makes my mouth water to think of it. Um, my Weight Watchers points will uh, be, be <laughs> dashed to the ground by dinner tonight. Best bread. Oh, good bread with really rich butter. Wonderful. So I'm going to say good evening. Next week, uh, I think the topic will be too much for one show. I want to discuss two books, the one by Philip Meyer called The Sun, about the settling of Texas, a book that I believe is factual uh, and disturbs the myths, the myths, because it's always these sacred myths that we have to examine in order to keep our heads clear and do what we all believe to be morally right. And the second, which will cause even more controversy, because when I even mention the book and what it's about, um, uh, I get uh, people either very, very upset and or very, very angry. It's a book by a reporter in Israel, Ari Shavit, called My Promised Land. The, uh, uh, and it's about the politics and the settling of, Zion, of Israel uh, and Zionism. Um, uh, very, very powerful and wonderful book. So I think they have something in common uh, because uh, they both deal with idealized myths that protect uh, the people in the conflicts from uh, ever seeing their own role uh, at, in, in the conflict that is consuming uh, uh, the Middle East. Uh, and and um, uh, I will discuss that next week. So if I can't, I'll do a general overview of my beliefs about idealization and the blindness that it causes uh, us when we think we're perfect, our religion is perfect, our country is perfect, our state is perfect, our leaders are perfect, uh, and good night.